0: Now, to kick this off this morning, um, (laughs) the I know a lot of you are country music fans, right? Any got country music fans here? Yeah, see, I know. See, I heard it over here. That's okay. Let it out. You're country music fans, right? I, am, I, I, can, I can tolerate some. Some country I really like because I'm, I'm a sap to the core. I'm a, kind of that hopeless romantic. So country tends to have a lot of those ballads in it. And So what I, want, I thought what we'd do this morning is open up this subject, listening to one of country's finest sing about this subject. I actually went online this week, and there I, I went on a, a site that I use, A to Z lyrics, and I typed in the word out and there's like over a thousand hits. There's a lot of music on this subject. So anyway, what I want to do is I want to listen to this song because um, it'll be some fun. It'll, it'll, there's some humor to the song. It's Brad Paisley singing about alcohol and singing how we kind of what alcohol makes us do. So go ahead and the lyrics are going to be here in the screen for you as you kind of catch this song. Crazy song, right? I don't care how much alcohol I'd have in me, I'm sure it's not going to help this white guy dance. I do know that pretty confidently. (laughs) As you think about that song, it's got humor to it, and we laugh and we chuckle, but there's a lot of reality to that song. Uh, And that song, the reason i open up with it, because that song actually, I'm going to show you, we're going to look at more passages of Scripture this morning than we normally do when I preach Um, We're just going to rip through some this morning because you're going to see, I'm going to show you that song actually is singing a good deal of scripture. For example, let me show you this first one. Uh, this kind of runs along. Remember the, that line: "It you alcohol makes you pick a fight with someone twice your size." Well, uh, Proverbs twenty verse one says, "Wine produces mockers; alcohol leads to brawls." Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. So, those of you who are who who have a tendency to hit the bottle and hit it hard are likely going to be brawlers and those who pick fights at times with people bigger than you that you'd be wise uh, not to engage with. Uh, remember the line about um, we blame the naked pictures on the beach for the alcohol? Well, alcohol um, for. Some some reason makes us take our clothes off. We're gonna look at some passages in the scripture where that happens. Here's one where God gets pretty upset with the nation of Israel, Habakkuk 2.15, where he's really kind of stepping in and says, What sorrow awaits you? So he's saying, I'm I'm this is so sad that you do this. Um, I'm gonna there's punishment coming for this. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk, you force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. Some of you have been here. Some of you have done this. You've been in the party scene where you, you may not be the one getting drunk, but you're loving watching everyone else get drunk and your camera's out and you're taking the pictures. And, and God steps in and says, hey, this isn't cool. This is a mess. And again, Brad Paisley sings about it and it kind of, it's, it's interesting. Um, he talks about it got you, tr- got you in trouble in high school. Uh, Romans 13 would say it this way, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And it goes on to talk about, if you read that chapter, it talks about the authorities that have been given uh, here to us, have been given, one has a sword uh, to punish, to discipline. And again, what does the law of our land say? You have to be 21 to drink and have uh, access to alcohol. Now, so again, those of you who are providing alcohol to minors, um, there's a problem. Those of you who are minors in drinking, it's what I love when Brad pays, it's going to get you in trouble. And it, it, uh, I've known many of people, many, many of people who've gotten themselves in a lot of trouble, trouble that cannot be reversed because they're not honoring the laws of the land, whether it's uh, drinking and driving, whether it's uh, drinking under the age, whether it's providing alcohol to minors, it causes Uh, trouble. Uh, Here's another one. I've influenced kings and world leaders. If you study, if you're a student of history, oh my, how alcohol has shaped our history. I mean, it is amazing how alcohol is. Well, you just get into it. I had all kinds of stories I was going to share, but for sake of time, I'm going to leave some of them out. But here's the proverb, Proverbs 31, verses 4 to 5. And he says, it is not, he says, so this is a dad, a king, writing to his son, uh, soon to be a king. He says, it is not for kings, O mule to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. So again, this substance, this alcohol causes, has made a mess all over uh, human history. Uh, The next one, you heard the line, I'm a medicine and I'm a poison. Um, Some of you know this verse well, Uh, 1 Timothy 5.20, it's an older pastor writing to a younger pastor and he says, hey, listen, Timothy, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Now, we've studied and we know that there's a lot of medicinal realities to alcohol, uh, for example, how many of you, when you get a really difficult cold and you can't sleep, what do we take? NyQuil. NyQuil, I'm told, is roughly 40-proof alcohol. It knocks you out. You're gone. I mean, it, it'll, it'll, it'll knock a horse out. I mean, that stuff is powerful stuff. You wake up groggy. The same effects of alcohol. So again, there's a medicinal side to it. However, don't miss the fact that it's not only a medicine, it's also a poison. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35, this is a long passage. I want you to really engage this passage. It says, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? These are all rhetorical questions. Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? What's the answer to all those questions? Those of you who struggle with alcohol. Uh, It goes on, it says, it is... The one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. That's the verse of people who hold to alcohol is bad all the time in all ways in all capacity. This is the verse they often hold to, where it says, don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how how smoothly it goes down. The rest of the passage, for in the end... In the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations, and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mass, and you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Again, that's alcohol. It bites like a snake. It's a poison. Now, alcohol has been known to cause poverty, and I love this verse, Proverbs twenty-one, seventeen: Those who love wine and it adds luxury will never be rich. If you want a lot of money, I would advise you to stay away from the substance of alcohol. Now, here's the one I really want to transition and push in on, and it goes along with Celebrate Recovery. This is one that we miss in our communities of faith. Proverbs 31, the verse that talked to the king, it says, kings, listen, don't don't be consumed with this because you're going to be a bad ruler. You're going to make bad decisions. Here's the rest of that verse. He says to his son, he says, but here's what alcohol is for. Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Now look at the command the older king gives to his son, the young king. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. This is where I want to take a moment and get very serious. So I was studying this week. I thought about this and thought about this and thought about this. And I thought, you know what? Alcohol truly to the core, those who struggle with it, it's often because they've faced hardship in life. And alcohol becomes a coping mechanism. It's something we begin to run to because it soothes and helps us forget. It gives us, as we saw in other words, hallucinations and, 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 and takes that pain away uh, that, we are, that we're facing day in and day out. Which is why I don't want to stand up here this morning and, and gloss this over. Alcohol is an ugly, ugly substance. Uh, it causes a ton of pain and a ton of heartache. It also soothes a ton of pain and a ton of heartache. We're starting Celebrate Recovery. It's happening September 21st in partnership. I loved how this happened with another church. I was sitting with another pastor uh, this past winter, and we've been in a, in a networking event, and we're ta- the, the networking event shifts to the struggle with substance abuse here in our community, and, and this, this thing of Celebrate Recovery pops up by someone who's not even in a church. He's just saying, hey, have any of you ever heard of this? And we're like, yeah, we've heard of it, and we need to bring it here to our community. So we step out, and we engage the two churches. We brought a third church in. We've now partnered with CrossNet, so there are four of us saying we are going to roll our sleeves up and we're going to create a culture that is safe for those of you who are drinking because of the pain in your life. And we want this to be a place where you can walk in here and not be shamed and beat up and kicked around because you're, you're drinking this substance to, to soothe. We're saying we want this to be a place where you can come in here and find you can lay the drink down because there's another reality to life that will help you soothe the pain in your life. But I will say, alcohol is a dangerous substance. Now, with all that, you might say to me, well, Adam, let's just stay away from it. Let's just make a good black and white rule that alcohol is always sin, always wrong, and let's not go there. Well, I believe if we do that, please hear me. Here's where we're going to shift and talk. I believe if we do that, we miss the heart of God. Some I me mean, see that sounds a little extreme. Hang with it. You miss the heart of God when you do that because the scriptures don't do that. I think you also miss the purpose of the Bible, and more than anything, I think you miss the ability to love people well. Now, I will say drunkenness is a sin, and it is wrong, and we can be pretty black and white on that. But to go there with alcohol across the board, I think we miss the heart of God. So turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 14, an Old Testament passage. We're going to look back here a little bit. Deuteronomy 14, it's page 161, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. Now, what's happening here you turn in there, this is Moses, a guy named Moses. Um, the nation of Israel has been brought out of, um, out of slavery. They've been in slavery for over 400 years, just over 400 years. They're now going to form their own nation. As they're going to form their own nation, um, Moses, throughout Deuteronomy, you'll see it in Numbers, you'll see it in Leviticus. He's establishing the foundation of this nation. He's basically saying this is how this nation is going to operate. These are the laws of the land. This is how we're going to kind of set the course for how we are going to work as a people group. So here's one of them, Deuteronomy chapter 14, one of the things that they begin to talk about and he's going to give us a a worship practice, something he wants us to do on a regular basis to worship God. Now here, look at verse 22. He says, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. The place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, which we know in the coming time will be Jerusalem. And eat it there in his presence. This applies to your ties of grain, new what? New wine. Okay, we'll come back to that one. Olive oil and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you. Now, this is the key. Do not miss this. Doing this So I've set this in place so that as you do this, it will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. So again, i want to pause here. So you get what he's saying? So he's going to pick Jerusalem as the place to worship. Now, you may live south, uh, quite a ways from Jerusalem, multiple days journey. Uh, so he said, you can't get your your herd, you can't get the 10% of your, your sheep and your goat, you can't get that stuff in, so he's going to give you a provision. So if that's the case, if you live far from the place of worship, here's what I want to give you. Uh, what you can do. If so, verse 25, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds and put the money in a pouch. So he says, go sell it. Instead of, instead of bringing it to worship, go sell it and then take that money, put it in a pouch, and go to Jerusalem. Go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. Verse 26, when you arrive, he's going to give you what you can do with the money. He's going to tell you, when you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want. Cattle, sheep, goats. What is it again? Wine or what? Other alcoholic drink. Some of your translations say strong drink. <laughs> so, what are saying? So, when you, when you, I'm going to set this practice up. This is worship. This is church. I'm going to do this for you so that you remember to fear me. I'm going to set this, and part of this practice is I want you to take your stuff, a tenth of it, I want you to sell it and have a party. Right, a lot of us are going to have a party this week, this this weekend, Labor Day weekend. There's going to be a lot of partying going on between this, this evening and tomorrow. He says, I want you to do this on a yearly, regular basis. Then look at the rest of the verse. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household and do not neglect the Levites. Now this would be the pastors and the religious leaders. Do not neglect the Levites in your town for they will receive no allotment of land among you. So in other words, the Levites had their, they made their living like Chris and I do. Off, We, we serve here in the church and it's, and it's a part of the gifts and offerings that come in to provide our income because, um, again, so it's, it's a very similar system set up there. So here's what we have. We have this picture. We have this set a tenth of your stuff aside, come into town, and buy whatever you want and have a party. Now, what's interesting to me, I was studying this week and, and those that would hold that alcohol is absolutely wrong across the board and God never encourages it and never, never accepts, makes it acceptable. They come to this passage and they're in, verse, um, they're in that verse when it talks about, where is it? Um, verse 25. If you do, you may sell your tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch and go to the place where God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic beverage. The word in many of your translations is strong drink. And so you'll hear, you'll hear uh, you'll hear people say, "Well, that strong drink is not strong drink as we understand it today." The alcoholic content—maybe some of I, I, it's important to talk about this because some of you've heard this argument. You'll hear, "Well, the alcoholic content of that drink then is not the same as the alcoholic content of our drink today." Have any of you heard that argument? So therefore, we're talking about two different things. I beg to differ. I want to teach you a biblical interpretive. I want to teach you how to interpret the Bible carefully. When you hear arguments like that, they sound so good. And then they'll say this. They'll say that the distillation process of liquor was not used in the Near East until the 7th century. So they would say, this can't possibly be liquor as we understand liquor, strong drink. And I'd say, hmm, that's interesting because Genesis, which is before this passage, says this of Noah. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine. He, he had made, and he became drunk, and then he does what many of us do when we're drunk. We take our clothes off and lay inside his tent. So here's my thing. Be so careful when you interpret Scripture. Here's what I want to give you a little warning. Be careful with the that was then, this is now argument. In other words, people will say, then the alcohol really wasn't alcohol as we understand it. Today, it's so different, Now, it is important to understand cultural context. It is so important to do that. In many places in Scripture, it's important to understand, okay, what is the world in which this writer is writing, and how did they function, and what's the culture of that world? It's important to understand, to be oh so careful of saying, that was then, this is now, across the board. Ask, the first principle you've got to ask is, what does the Bible say? And when the Bible is talking about this same beverage getting people drunk, it clearly clearly was strong drink as we understand strong drink. So you say, well, why is God telling people to go do this? Well, here's what it is. In a few weeks, we have the Denver Fair coming. Following the Denver Fair is the what? Effort of fair, right? I grew up in the effort Affair. fair. I grew up in and so we kind of came that direction, the largest street fair in Pennsylvania. And then after the effort of fair, what do you have? The New Holland Fair, then you fast forward a little bit, then you've got, I think you've got the, there's a whole list of them, right? I mean, you've got the, the one down in the, the southern end of the county, you've got the Mannheim uh, Farm Show, you've got, and so what, what are they? I think they're a version of what we're reading about here. It's at the end of the year. The harvest is in. We're, we're going to pull together an agrarian c- culture and celebrate. We're going to say, wow, look at all that God has done for us this year. So we're going to go have, uh, here's my favorite, deep fried vegetables. I love the things. They're amazing. I could eat them. Oh, I mean, that's all I need to go to the fair for. And if some of you are yeah, pick me. I'm good with that. You know, you've got the funnel cakes. You've got the Fink's French fries. You've got the ice cream. You've got, I oh, can go down the list of stuff, and I'm going to go try and win a goldfish. It's going to die in a day anyway, and I'm, Going to try and pop a balloon and take home whatever. I mean, so again, we go to these fairs and we're celebrating the end of a year. I think that's what Deuteronomy 14, in a small way, kind of captures. Or maybe you can look at it this way it's like your vacation. Why do you go on a vacation? I think vacations are of God. I just want to say that. Those of you who don't do them should go do them. Go take a vacation. But why do we take them? Have you ever asked this question, why do you take a vacation? Why? Have you ever really wrestled with that? Some of you well, I don't know, because I get two weeks off and because I hate my boss and I just want to get away from him. I'll take two weeks away from him, I mean, or her, or just get me out of here, right? Why? Some of you think, well, it's what we do. We go. Some, of, some of us just do it because we love pleasure and we love to kick our feet back and relax. With it. Why do we take a vacation once a year? And as I think about these things, I think about when I come home from the fair, when I get done with my Labor Day parties, when I get done uh, with my one or two week vacation, can I say, verse 23? Look at the end of it. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Is that how you feel when you come home from vacation? I fear God more now than ever because I just took that vacation. Oh, my goodness, I went to the New Holland Fair. I fear God more than ever. Yes, we had a Labor Day party. Man, we grilled some good filet, and I am so close to God right now because I had that filet. Is that what we say? Why don't we? I think that's the closest parallel we have in our culture. I think we don't, for me, I'm going to speak for me, is because oftentimes the reason I did those things are selfish. Or maybe an uglier thing, they're coping. I can't handle the pain of life, so I check out, and I go on a vacation, or I sit back and I watch football all day, or I whatever the case may be. Or I'm taking a break from all my hard work. I think we tend to forget something. This is where I want to bring the message of Jesus in. We tend to forget that pleasure is a gift from God designated, designed to draw us to God. Did you ever think about this? Pleasure is not evil. Now, I'm going to pause there because we live in a Puritan, work ethic-driven culture that is so good, and it has reaped beautiful fruit. But what we miss in this hard-working religious culture is pleasure is a gift from God. God is actually not indifferent to pleasure. He builds it into his system of worship. He wants you to go and enjoy yourself. Now, when you do it, he wants you to do it in a certain way, and that's what we'll talk about. But let me see real quick. Ecclesiastes, some of the verses that build on this. Ecclesiastes 9, 7. Go, so go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God what? Some of you need to memorize this one. God approves of this. Okay, here's another one. Ecclesiastes, same book. I love Ecclesiastes. This book will give you fits. If you really want to, this book will mess with you. Uh, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from where? Really? Look at this next one. Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I recommend having fun. (laughs) I know some Christians that need to tattoo that one right on their forehead. <laughs> I don't know why we get into the Christian circle. We think everything's got to be, okay, I can't have fun. No, I love this. I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. And I love this next one. This next one's even Ecclesiastes 10, 19, a party gives laughter. Wine gives happiness. (laughs) And money gives everything. Don't be negative on money. This is a whole other message. You need money to live. Talk to people without it, they're not very happy people. I really tire of Christian people bashing money. You need it to live. It is an important reality of life. Along with, you need a party. And at times you may even need some wine. Now, here's what I want to say about Deuteronomy. I think what God is building into his system of worship is the the importance to this reality of learning to regularly feast in the presence of God, celebrating his love and provision for you. Now, here's what I want to say. So when we go to the fair, it's the end of the year. Maybe you're a farmer, and your year has come to an end, and you're kicking back and relaxing. The struggle that most of us have, regularly feast, and so it's some regularly. You You need to create some kind of pattern, some kind of system. Here, God makes it once a year, so at least do it once a year, regularly do this, and do it in... In the presence of God. Don't leave him at home and you run off to your vacation. Take him with you and then when you're doing it, celebrate his love and his provision for you. So when you go on your vacation and you kick back and relax, bring him with you. Bring him into it and spend your time in that vacation saying, God, man, how you have taken care of us this past year. Now here's the one I want to wrap this up with. When I say wrap up, I still got 10 minutes. So some of you are going, all right, we're out of here early. <laughs> Here's what I want to wrap it up with. I want to bring it back to alcohol. This kind of went a little broader than alcohol. I want to bring it back into alcohol and talk about this principle. I think the reason we struggle with this is because many of us make our choices with alcohol selfishly. And we don't have a bigger picture in mind. So what I mean by that, some of you make your choice in alcohol. You will sit here and you will tell me, Adam, I have liberty. I can drink what I want to drink, when I want to drink, how I want to drink it, and you can't tell me not because the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ has set me free. And I would say, sure, you're right, but you're selfish. Here's why I would say that. Galatians says it this way. Galatians 5.13 says, for you have been called to live in freedom. Amen. You are free. You are a free person, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your what? I fear sometimes our liberties are doing nothing more than satisfying my own sinful cravings. I'll give you another one, Romans 14. You say, you're free. You're free, Adam. I'm free. I'm free. I can do what I want. Well, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or, here it is again, look, he works it right in, drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. So again, some of you are making your choices and saying, you know what, forget you, I have liberty, I have freedom, I'm sorry you're a weak Christian, I'm going to go do this. And in doing so, we are tearing apart the work of God. So I think the reason we struggle with these principles is because we're selfish. Now, I want to push in because some of you are sitting here feeling pretty proud right now. You're going, that's why I don't drink, Adam. That's right. That's right, right there. I don't cause people to stumble. That's why I don't drink. That's why I think it's wrong. Some of you that say that are saying it not out of biblical conviction but to preserve your own hide. I want to push on this. I think sometimes we celebrate nice people in the Christian circle in a way that's a little dangerous. We celebrate being the nice guy, being the, being the people pleaser. And what we don't ever really step in and challenge are at times you actually need to tick someone off. But some of us are so upset and so consumed and so crushed when we hear, they're upset at me. Oh, my word, I got an email about my message. They said it was terrible. My week is ruined. We get so devastated. When we have a friend or a loved one or a family member that that says negative things about us. And so what we begin to do is we work overtime to make sure we soothe and keep those calm waters all around us. I don't want anyone to dislike me. Jesus... Be careful how you apply this principle. This week on Monday when I was studying, I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just did a real quick reading. I came across seven times that Jesus clearly caused the religious people around him to stumble. There was a law that you could not heal on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. Go read it this week. There's a religious leader, and Jesus engages him. And Jesus looks around him as he engages religiously. He looks around him, and he says, oh, you know what? There's a sick guy. Why don't you come over here? I'm going to heal you. And it's as if he does it intentionally to provoke the religious leaders around him to cause them to stumble. But I want you to pay attention. What are they stumbling over? Are they really stumbling over healing on the Sabbath, or are they stumbling over Jesus. Here's how I want to kind of, let me make this really practical as it comes to alcohol. Jesus provokes all the time. He causes people to stumble. His chief thing in life was not, I'm not going to cause people to stumble. His chief mode of operation was, I want to bring people to me. And at times, you've got to stumble to get to me. Take Paul, he learned this well. So Paul has two young guys, Timothy and Titus. They're these two pastors that he raises up, that he trains, that he develops. Neither of them, when they came to Christ, were circumcised. And that's a really big deal in that culture. So you have the first one, Timothy. This is in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. It talks about this. Paul, uh, Timothy comes to Christ. Paul says, man, this guy's, the hand of God is on him. So we're going to bring Timothy along on our missionary journeys. But he's never been circumcised. So because of that, we're going to circumcise him in deference to the Jewish culture. So see what he's saying? So we want to be effective on this missionary journey. So we don't want to cause people to stumble. So we're going to have Timothy circumcised. I always wonder, how do people know? You ever wonder that? How do you know if you've been circumcised? Can't wait to get to heaven and ask God, though. And how did they know? So they, so they have him circumcised because they're going into a culture where that's a really big deal. Now, what's so interesting to me, you go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, and Paul, dealing with Titus now, Titus is in the same exact position. He's, God's, or t- Paul's bringing Titus along on a missionary journey, and, and there he says, no, absolutely not, we are not going to have you circumcised. You say, well, Paul, now wait a minute. You just had one guy circumcised to make sure your ministry is effective and you don't want to cause people to stumble. And here you're like thumbing your nose at it and saying, tough luck. He's not getting circumcised. Do you know what it comes down to? In Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, the gospel message of Jesus Christ was at stake. The people in in Galatia Galatia were saying, listen, you need to be circumcised to be acceptable before God. And Paul says, guess what? We're not going to do it then to prove a point and cause you to stumble. But you're stumbling over Jesus and your adherence to the law. Not just, not just a cultural deference where we don't want to cause someone to stumble. D.A. Carson, I want, to, I want to read this to you. This is, he says it better than me. Uh, he builds on this and he brings alcohol into it. So he says, here's what D.A. Carson, one of those brilliant New Testament scholars, I believe, in the, in the world right now, um, He says this, Paul refused to circumcise Titus even when it was demanded by many in the Jerusalem crowd, not because it didn't matter to them, but because it mattered so much that if he acquiesced, he would have been giving the impression that faith in Jesus is not enough for salvation. Do you hear what he's saying? The reason he didn't have Titus circumcised was it would have given the impression that you, faith in Jesus, you need more than faith in Jesus. And he says, absolutely not. So we're not going to have you circumcised to prove a lesson. He goes on to say, to create a contemporary analogy. If I'm called to preach the gospel among a lot of people who are cultural teetotalers... You know, I I had to look that word up. What's a teetotaler? What the heck is that? Uh, It's people that don't drink alcohol (laughs) So, is a simple way to say it. So he's saying, if I were called to go minister in a culture where that's the culture that I live in, I'll give up alcohol for the sake of the gospel because I don't want them to stumble. But if they start saying you can't be a Christian and drink alcohol, I'll reply... Pass the port. Pour me one. I'm going to drink it right here in front of you. It's like he does what Jesus does when he heals on the Sabbath. He is intentionally provoking. It's like a punch to the mouth. It's like, listen, guys, no, no, no. He says, Paul is flexible with Timothy when the exclusive sufficiency of Christ is not at stake and when a little cultural accommodation will advance the gospel. He is rigidly inflexible and therefore refuses to circumcise Titus when people are saying the Gentiles must be circumcised and become Jews to accept the Jewish Messiah. So hear what he's saying? So here's my struggle. In one sense, people become selfish with their liberty. I can drink. I'm going to drink. I don't really care what you think. In another sense, people become selfish in their legalism. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not going to offend anyone, even if I need to offend you to lead you to Christ. Now the final one I'll say, sometimes we we do we make our decisions selfishly to simply fit in. Um, we live what's convenient as opposed to our convictions. Romans chapter 14 says it this way. But if you have, goes on to say, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions if you do anything you believe is not right. Now I've, I've seen people do this. They're sitting with this group over here, they're they're kind of fitting in. And they're with this group and this group doesn't drink. They're with them on a Friday night and this group's hanging out and, and, and they're hanging out at the Olive Garden they're looking around and going, can you believe those guys? I okay, go, man, what sinners? Look at them over there drinking guzzling down that aisle. And you're like, yeah, I mean, what's up with that? And then the next Friday night you're over here with this group of friends, right? And this group of friends is like, yeah, they're having a grand old time, high-fiving all around and, and maybe even being a little irresponsible. And they're like, I can't believe, I mean, look at these. And they start making fun of the other side. And you're like, yeah, what's wrong with them? Well, I'd say, what's wrong with you? It's okay to be two different things in two different contexts. It's okay for me to, to come into this culture and not drink because I don't want to cause them to stumble. And it's okay for me to come over here and drink because I want to, I want to engage the gospel of Jesus. I had a friend one time um, who, who was, a, who was a, an officer in the, in the military and he came to an East Coast school uh, from the West Coast and he's, was, um, he was trying to reach these other officers. and he, it was, So he created a Bible study and no one came to the Bible study. So he's like, how do I get them to come to the Bible study? Well, he put together, alcohol is a really big deal in the military. So he says, okay, guys, here's the deal. If you read this passage and come ready to talk about it, I will provide you free beer every Tuesday night. And he called the thing beer in the Bible. He saw all kinds of people accept Jesus as a result of it. So it's okay to drink in certain contexts. But what's not okay is to live in this context as a total chameleon pointing fingers and condemning that side. And it's not okay to, to drink in this context and then laugh and make fun of that side. So it says, listen, you've got to form your convictions and don't be selfish about it. So here, you say, Adam, bring this to an end. I'll bring it to an end here. Yeah, let's come back to this. Regularly feast in the presence of God, celebrating his love and provision. So here's how I would say this. Galatians chapter 5 makes a powerful statement. Galatians chapter 5 says this. Actually, before I say that, if I ask you right now, what is the greatest commandment? Some of you would say what? Some of you are quoting it. Say it together. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked this, and what did he answer? Beautiful. Greatest commandment. Love, Lord, God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the second commandment? Guys, way to go. Paul comes into Galatians 5, verses 13 to 14, and he says the entire law is summed up with this one thing. And you're getting ready to say love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength because that's what Jesus said. Well, guess what Paul says? No. Paul says the entire law is summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul, now wait a minute, Paul. You must not have been listening to Jesus. He repeats it in Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. He says there, the entire law is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why does he say this? And I think if you push into this question, you lead yourself to this place. And you lead yourself to the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I think often our adherence to the law is doing nothing more than loving ourself. People say, you know what, I don't drink because I'm a good Christian and because I have this and I, and they go on down the line. And I think oftentimes when you really push on it, it's because you're loving yourself. And what I mean by that, we say, you know, if I can cross all my T's and dot all my I's, I'm going to soothe my fragile ego, and I'm going to soothe my fragile insecurities. We have a need for assurance. We have a need to know that I'm good and that I'm right and that I'm acceptable, that I'm enough, that I'm a value, that I'm better, that I'm good enough, that I'm right enough. And we, we go at this, and we have such fear and anxiety over not being good enough, and we feel unworthy. So we go out, and we obey the law, and we cross our T's and dot our I's, and we lay our head on our pillow at night and go, oh. God in heaven's going, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're depending upon my law to make you right with me. And it's self absorbed and it's broken. I find the people who truly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, what they naturally do is love others well, they'll obey the law. Absolutely, obeying the law is important. A person who comes at it from the gospel position, they'll do it, and as they obey the law, the people around them feel loved, freed, and cared for. I think one of the greatest tests of this is do my children feel loved, freed, and cared for when I when I pass rules on to them? At times I think they do. Other times, they don't because it's more about my own insecurities. I think what Paul's really getting at, he says, when you are freed from the need to soothe yourself with all the rules, you in turn love people well. Do you know why? Because you've stood face to face with the living creator God and measured yourself against his standard. And you realized I'm broken. I am a sinner. I am unworthy. I feel it to the core of my being. And then you look into the eyes of a God who sent his son Jesus to heal that brokenness, to walk with you in that pain and heartache and death. And he sent a God who said, listen, I'm for you. Put your faith in me and find life and life to the full. And it says when people do that, it says that when they are forgiven much, they in turn what? When you're forgiven much, you love much. So when you come at this issue of alcohol and all these other rules and laws and gray issues and and you come at it with a way of saying, I'm going to soothe my conscience and I'm going to live by the rules and I'm going to cross my T's and I'm going to dot my I's because I am a good person. I'm a good Christian. It's going to fail on you when you come at it and you say you come at life and say, you know what, my goodness, I am a broken person. God died for me. Jesus died for me, and I am now worthy. I'm enough. I'm I'm my fragile ego has been healed. In turn, we love much. And that's why Paul says: when you fulfill the law, you ultimately love people. Because he has been forgiven much, loves much. When I understand how much God loves me. When I stand in turn, I love God as a result. The natural outgrowth is to love people. So I believe it's real easy for me to stand, and stand, stand on this stage and say, I love God. I'd say, Really? Show it to me in how you love people. And that's why, to me, this issue is a gospel issue. That's why, to me, it's important to have a party once in a while, to take a break. To simply stand in the presence of God and say, I didn't earn this. I'm sitting here on the beaches of the Atlantic, taking a vacation from my year. I've brought God along with me, and I'm here on the beaches of the Atlantic, digging my toes into the sand, reminding myself that I didn't earn this. But how do most of us approach our beaches on the Atlantic and our vacation? I put in four years, so I now get two weeks. I did my duty. I did my diligence. I worked hard. I get my time. I think the heart of Deuteronomy 14 is regularly built into your patterns, your systems of life, times where you take a break, bring God into it, have a party, have fun in his presence, and say, God, I didn't earn any of this. Thank you for providing for me. So tomorrow... This weekend, the reason we put this one to end the series is because it's it's a weekend where we feast and party. So I'd say do it as an overflow of gratitude for all that God has done for you. Have fun in his presence. And maybe, just maybe, if your conscience allows and you're with a group that would be okay with it, pour a drink, just maybe. And in his presence, say, God, thank you for the break that I have from my labor. Thank you for how you've provided for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. And walk out of that time feeling a deeper sense of gratitude for who God is than if you just cook some burgers, had a beer, a few hot dogs, and nachos. Let me pray for us. Um, the team's going to come up and um, close with one final song and get us into that weekend. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Um, God, this subject of alcohol, I pray for those in this room right now who have been hurt by it. There are those in this room who, who have watched the carnage in their home. And God, the first half of this message resonated with them. They understood the pain and the brokenness of it. So God, I pray for those in this room that are, that are going to strong drink as a way to cope with their pain or they've been hooked and causing damage around them. God, I pray that they would find safety and a place to walk in here and open up and just get honest about that. God, those that have been hurt by it, God, I pray that um, they'd step out and find healing in life from the evil that's visited them in life. God, for those in this room that are legalists, there's a lot, probably a lot of us in this room that are legalists. We don't even realize it at times. We're depending upon our standards, our rules, our convictions, our do's and don'ts is, is kind of what makes you happy with me. God, would you push it on us? Would you cause us to stumble over Jesus? Would you hit us in the face with that? And say, listen, you're a broken sinner. You can obey the rules all day long, but if you're not dependent upon my grace, period, for salvation, acceptance before me. And you believe in a false gospel. God, for those in this room that are um, unsure of that relationship with Jesus, kind of walked in here, maybe it was a friend invited them. It's a holiday weekend. Oh, I don't know, let's go to church. I can sleep in tomorrow. God, I pray that this message found them um, engaging scripture, engaging you, asking maybe some bigger questions. But God, Would they talk to the person they came with? open up and and wrestle with who you are and the freedom that they can have in Jesus as you grant them grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, we love you. Um, Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.